0: Kosh, appreciate you joining us uh, on the show and looking forward to learning kind of about your story, but also how you sort of ended up here uh, doing what you're doing, working on genies and humans and all the other projects you're, you might be working on and um, kind of like you know your thoughts on where we're going, what's happening, uh, and uh, yeah, appreciate appreciate you being here. But before we kind of get into what you're working on now, I guess give us a little primer, like a little background on yourself and you know where you grew up. What kind of kid were you? Like, what were you into? And then we can go from there. Yeah.
1: No. Thanks for having me. Um, let's see. Born and raised in the Bay Area, uh, heart of Silicon Valley, Mountain View, just classic. Um, and you get bitten by the bug pretty early on. I always have this joke that uh, when I was playing soccer, you know, left forward's mom was this VC, right forward's dad started this company, and so forth. So you're surrounded by it you know, whether you like it or not, which I think has its pros and cons, right? I think the pro is that you become assimilated and you understand so much as a startup and entrepreneurship world, secondhand nature. I think the negative is that, you know, you become jaded towards so many things in tech and that you're, 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 you're constantly surrounded by that single bubble that you don't get a lot of, I think, other potential characteristics from other industries that could be worthwhile touch points. Um, but... Grew up in the Bay, started building when I was 14 years old, a bunch of shitty apps, a bunch of shitty companies, but still kept working on stuff. And then went to University of Michigan, uh, studied computer science and business, and uh, worked on a bunch of different apps with two buddies that went to Penn. And uh, we kept shipping new products every single summer. We thought that one of them would take off. None of them did. We would get six, seven, eight, ten 10 users, half of them being our family members, and still just a flop after a year. Um, and then finally, my senior year, one of the apps started blowing up. It was a predecessor to Genie's. It was a college-exclusive social network with a bunch of e-commerce gimmicks here and there. And um, the, one, the one caveat was that I went to Michigan that if you downloaded the app from Ohio State, we just started deleting your account. And that started going absolutely viral. Um, and we had no dollars in, the, in our bank. And so that was kind of our marketing expenditure, our marketing stunt. And um, ended up doing well enough. I was eight credits away from graduating. We all dropped out of school just to pursue a full time. And so when you ask what type of kid I was, very rebellious. I feel very bad for my parents dealing with me in high school and then in college as well. But um, yeah, we all dropped out of school and got kicked out of my parents' house immediately, moved into a small room attached to a mosque in San Jose, and just kind of kept hustling from there. So one thing led to the next, and eventually ended up on Genius.
2: Akash, this may be a tough question to answer because, you know, You'll know why it's tough when I ask it, but how much, and obviously you kind of alluded to this, but had you not grown up in Silicon Valley and been in that environment, do you think that entrepreneurship was a path that you would have eventually pursued knowing kind of who you were throughout high school, college?
1: I definitely would have done something with passion. Like, I think if there's one thing I'm known for, it's like, I'm definitely known as an extreme personality, like a person of extremities in general. So I feel like I would have latched onto something and given it my all, right? So like, if there's one thing I'll go down as, you know, it's just definitely not passive, like a very caring, if I'm doing something is probably everything. Um, Whether that would have been entrepreneurship, considering the landscape in which I was growing up in, I'm not too sure. I think it would have been entrepreneurial in nature. I was always doing entrepreneurial stuff. Um, I was always doing entrepreneurial stuff very, very early on, um, whether it was even you know, as rudimentary as lemonade stands. I felt like they were the most innovative lemonade stands on the market. But right. um, you know, I was passionate about soccer. So you know, had I grown up in Europe, maybe I would have gone into academy and played that instead. So who knows? But back then, I think location, I mean, when Silicon Valley first came into market, location meant a lot. Being next to people meant a lot. When the Internet wasn't as accessible, being around and touching shoulders with all the different personas meant a lot. So, um, yeah, unsure, actually. It's a good question.
2: So you're you're our age. My, my Me and Pat are both 29, graduated in 2014. I assume you're 28 to 30, somewhere in that range. Um, and so we all kind of grew up in the same Era where you know we know the days of our lives before the internet and social networks and communication, right? Like AIM being probably the earliest form of communication to now, where you know there is digital worlds being created, which we'll get into after. You know, as a kid growing up, you know, seeing that right, and I think that this will relate to a lot of those in our audience. What was something that fascinated you about the internet, and you know? what it could perhaps become in your head. I don't know.
1: You know, it's everything that I've been building at least for the last 15 years. So I'm 29 as well. Started building when I was 14, um, has always been in social. It's been consistently around social behaviors and social mechanisms. And a big reason why in hindsight, I was able to really, really realize this. I think a few years ago was, um, I've struggled with anxiety and depression my whole life. Um, I just felt more comfortable behind the keyboard. So you bring up AIM, for example, you know, I'd be shy or I'd be intimidated when I would be in high school around other people. But as soon as I got home and I was behind my AIM username, like I became the most outgoing gregarious person in the world, right? And so what I find fascinating, truthfully, is that some of those rudimentary or basic concepts... Haven't really dissipated. In fact, they've just been amplified and they continue to reinvent itself. And so, in the consumer world, it's so cyclical. Like you can see, you consistently see the same concepts with a different package to fit a new context, consistently shipped onto market. And so, I think that early on within social, you just saw the potential of what it would be like to accessorize your identity in the digital world. So, like back when I was in, you know, whatever it was, middle school. And I had that username. It was like some dumb, like Mr. Blue Boy. And then I had another one that was Baller4. <laughs> fucking weird. We, we, all had had, baller. we, had,
0: we all had that one Baller one in our username at some point. Dude, I had Baller4104. I'll never
1: forget. I think I <laughs> was like Crazy Baller,
0: like 103 or
1: something. <laughs> yeah, so I, I was pretty hype on it. I thought it was super tight at the time. Um, but, you know, like, it, it, you, but like, if you remember even in AIM, they even had the, the about section, you know, and you could put like a bunch of different things in there about your personality. Then you go to MySpace and you were able to put, uh, you know, you could put a song on your profile and that screams so many things about you. And so it was just so fascinating to me how you could basically manifest this virtual representation of all your feelings and your emotions and your characteristics. And you just thought you were like, the more and more you get consumed by the internet, the more and more we care about who we are online, the further and further we find ourselves down this rabbit hole. And I think the more potential that there is to come, right? Because this world has so many innovators in it and they all gravitate towards where humanity currently exists and where they think they'll go. And so I always sat there and I was like, dude, if like people are, you know, all of a sudden you go from MySpace to Facebook and you're sitting there like, Dude, face the fact that you, the fact that we know that Facebook will get outdated, which at that time I knew because I'd seen so many different cycles before me, is just nuts. The fact that today, the most addictive platform in the world, TikTok, you're sitting there and be like, three years, it's gonna be outdated. That's crazy. Cause you're just, you always consistently think that you're at the apex. Of consumer interaction on the internet and social interaction on the internet, but it keeps getting reinvented the more and more that innovators stay around. So I always just thought it was so fascinating to go back to directly to your question at how nascent we were and consistently and infinitely will be at any given point in the internet because that's how vast it is. It reminds me of space. It's like you're you're infinitely going to remain in the nascent stage, which I think is so awesome.
2: You brought up an interesting. Um thing that got me to think about, uh, you know, this next fact, which is you talk about how you, you know, as a kid, or perhaps even now dealt with, you know, anxiety or, you know, what, what not, and all these other, um, you know, perhaps social issues or whatever it may be. And that as soon as you got behind a screen, you were a different Akash, right? The question I have is, were you a different Akash and are people different behind the screen or are they actually themselves behind a screen and are they perhaps different, you know, IRL in real life where they do deal with perhaps social anxieties or, you know, you know, have trouble communicating with people, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just something that, you know, I, I just think it's an interesting conversation that a lot of people will probably think about once they hear what you just said.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's a good, I think it's a good question. I think they're more themselves or who they want to be behind a keyboard or they're more comfortable selves. An anxious self is still part of yourself. You know, it's like, I, I ironically literally just posted on my Instagram today, um, something my therapist had me do just last week um, because he can, he can see that I constantly am trying to optimize for one or two sides of my personality that I think are a prerequisite for my job and for what I need to be able to do as a leader of genies. And he told me to take out a piece of paper and he was like, Akash, do me a favor. Write down every single side of your personality. The good ones, the bad ones, whatever you see fit. So I wrote it down. I wrote down controller. I wrote down um, uh, an anxious avoider. I wrote down depressed loner. I wrote down a party performer. I wrote down a bunch of these until I got to this. Like, I got around to around seven or something. It was like existential questioner and then achiever. And then he was like, look, these are all sides of your personality. There's not just one or two Akashas, there's seven different Akashas. And so instead of you really trying to optimize for one of those, you have to create an eighth personality that accepts all seven of those at any given time because your identity is fluid. So I think to your point, it's like, I think people feel most comfortable behind the keyboard. And that's the key is that you can relax. You can start to measure yourself. You experience different sides of your personality, but at least you come and you approach it with methodical tranquility. Um, Whereas in the real world, maybe you don't get that calm demeanor in order to kind of measure out who you want to be or can be in that given moment because you're feeling so suppressed uh, on a consistent basis. So I think the internet, because like, look, like we talk about the benefits of being behind the keyboard and we talk about the mental health benefits of being behind the keyboard. I think it's a bell curve, right? I mean, it's like, you're going to, it's going to, there's going to be positives and all of a sudden you get too immersed and all of a sudden there's going to be negatives. Like I can't imagine the therapy sessions I'm going to be having once we're actually full blown living in a virtual world, like that identity crisis, like the amount of shit that's going to come out of that is going to be crazy. And so we have to have proper... Uh, moderation and I think control over how we manage all those different feelings as well. So, what, yeah, what I, are some I, of
0: those things? Like, you think that people, especially the folks who are like heads deep building this future, should be thinking about and focusing on to to at least get ahead of it to not to make sure that I, I mean, like you said, those issues are probably inevitable. But like, how could we diminish diminish it a little bit so it's not too serious?
1: Yeah, I think I think there's two positions. That I've talked about, that I think are going to be the most important two positions um, of the future. One is going to be a head of community, and the second one is going to be head of moderation. And you're seeing those two positions starting to grow in popularity, but you're still not really seeing anybody delegate like tier one, top tier, like five star candidates to either of them. And that I think that's a problem because you know, you're thinking about your space and your environment and your hospitality and really the management. I mean, like if there, if it's going to be fully decentralized and there's no government regulation, then the regulation is self-regulation and it's self-moderation and self-therapy and it's self. Um, and it's just, you know, the, 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 it, it's, it's a communal effort to make sure that everybody feels safe and that everybody can have an open area to be themselves. So I think moderation tools is where I'd love to see people really invest time in. Because, you know, we talk about flagging and reporting and all that shit as if it's like, oh, yeah, when we were born, like, this is what we were given. It's like, that's not what happened. It's like, if you go back to when we entered the internet, I guarantee you the conversations back then, and we we were obviously too young, but I guarantee you the conversations back then were like, wait, what, do, what is this internet thing? So like, what are we going to do if somebody does something illegal and we can't physically go arrest them and then throw them in jail or tackle them or handcuff them or whatever? And so people were like, okay, well, you know, there's a lot of freedom of expression that comes with web two. We shouldn't stifle that, but there should be some type of controlling method. So maybe there's reporting, maybe there's banning, maybe there's, um, you know, maybe there's flagging, maybe there's uh, terms of services and all that type of stuff. Right. So I think there's going to be a reinvention of all of those tools in the virtual world. And I think it needs to be a little bit more aggressive and everything is self-regulated. Everything is self-controlled. So um, yeah, I, I, th- I think that's a huge, huge issue right now. Um, and the more that we have builders focusing on that, I think it can be a real big business, especially if you can set it up as like, here are your moderate, here's like our moderation tool API. Like anytime that you want to use this or like an SDK or whatever, it's like I can go get off the shelf tools for mod- for moderation, and just instill them into my virtual world or network. That's really awesome.
0: Yeah. Um, okay, so kind of going a little bit back, uh, you mentioned uh, you were like building since you were fourteen, but you decided you, you know to go to college. Why did you decide? Like, why did knowing that you were kind of a builder and entrepreneur when you were younger, what think what did you think you were going to get out of college? And did you end up? I know you dropped out, but did you end up getting what you thought you were going to get, or what was that experience like?
1: I mean, my parents are my parents are, you know, first first immigrants uh, from India. And so education is fierce um, and academia was fierce in my family. And like my dad basically said, I mean, like he was like, well, you can do literally whatever the fuck you want. Like, I don't even care. You can be a drug dealer if you want to. The one rule I have is that you need to learn how to code. That was like the one thing that we had in our entire family. It's like you can literally be a gangbanger. It doesn't matter. Just like literally learn how to code. Yeah. So, from that perspective, it kind of evangelized like, you know, all types Slinging of things. Slinging code. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, you know, it he, he kind of evangelized like so much entrepreneurial spirit within our family. My dad was an entrepreneur. My mom was an entrepreneur. My sister's an entrepreneur. Like, it's kind of, it's just like a fun, it's just passion for your creations. And, um, you know, like, people do, like, people ask me, like, what is my biggest regret? my biggest regret is dropping out of college and not high school. Like I think the earlier that you can start, the better, the more, as long as you have like the right mindset and you understand what comes with the territory, then, and you're not here for basically, you know, roses and, and, and beautiful stars. It's like, it's like 99.9% of the time is eating shit. Um, You know, then I, then I think you're in for some luck. But my dad basically was really passionate about education in general. And it was like, okay, great. Like, You know, you should go to college. I wasn't thinking about dropping off back then. Like, I was a very rebellious, very social, extroverted kid actually in high school, probably too much. And um, went to Michigan basically because I thought I was badass. I was recruited to their soccer team. I was obsessed with soccer. So, played that freshman year. Um, And then also just wanted to kind of get out of the bay. Like, you're just, you know, when you're a kid, you're just like, oh my God, I can't wait to have this, like, you know, fucking year-long sleepover with a bunch of cool people in like a new place where my parents aren't supervising me so like that's what I did but I quickly realized right when I got there it's like you know I constantly want I mean it goes back to the identity it's like constantly looking to stand out and constantly wanted to do things that were just different and things that were more significant and impactful than just going to class so I found out fast that 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 route wasn't for me and that I just wanted to keep creating but um. yeah I mean when I dropped out of school it was, it was a big issue it was like a big issue in my family my parents were not happy at all because you know I think they thought that we watched the social network and they were like oh these guys think that they're just going to make like Facebook and it wasn't wasn't really the case of course
0: Were you? Akash, but, but, we're,
1: that... yeah, oh, sorry go for it Pat no you go for it Akash do you think that every kid
2: will let's call it in the next two to three years will every kid be required to learn how to code
1: They should. I don't think people should be learning new languages in replacement of coding. Um, You know, like I feel like I feel like even since we grew up, there's so many introduction classes to coding, even at the elementary level, which is fucking amazing. As soon as I graduated high school, they started integrating it more immersively. And that's that's important. Like that is a backbone to innovation in society. I think to take it one layer deeper, I think people are going to start to introduce blockchain courses in elementary school and middle school, the same way that they started to introduce C++ and Objective-C that early on too. So I'm excited for that. I mean, like I talk about how millennials, which is us, you know, I talk about how millennials, we became so well-versed with the internet that if we were going to a URL, we never really asked like how Google was showing us these images and like, you know how things were working we just knew how to use it we knew right. how to navigate it mm-hmm. i think gen z is going to feel the same way about blockchain and crypto and nfts that they're going to be able to navigate between private and public keys can they tell you why they're different or how it works no but they'll know how to use it which i think is really cool and important
0: yeah um i was going to ask were you like i know you mentioned you had like all these different projects going on and like a bunch of them were just like flopping and you just kept jumping around and like were you afraid at all like that you would drop out and like not ever really figure something out? Or were you like, I just know if I get a lot of at bats that something's going to click and, and you just, you were just like totally convinced.
1: It's a good question. I mean, like the first thing that comes to mind is, I, I mean, I don't know if you guys ski or snowboard, but when I grew up, I was snowboarding basically every other weekend. If it was raining in South Bay, we were going up to Tahoe. Um, And I was so reckless and so fearless anytime I was in the train park or doing anything on the mountain, which is crazy. I look back, I'm like, I can't believe how reckless I was. And it's because you don't have fear at that age. You don't even have that much to lose at that age. You're just kind of like, yeah, if I break a bone, fuck it. I'll just like, I'm pretty sure I'm going to regenerate in the next four or five months. I'll be totally fine. I'll get right back on the field. And so like I feel like that was the mindset even when you're dropping out of school You just know that you have little risk and little to lose and I had it's not like it was like our first idea Oh great. Let's try something. It's like we had been we had been doing many sacrifices along the way You know, like I compromised on my social life a lot towards the middle of my college career to start focusing on this I started to compromise on soccer. I compromised on academics. I compromised on no internships during like every single summer. And you already know that you're setting yourself up where it's like, all right, like you're just focusing on your own stuff. You're not really going down the beacon path. So I think like when we dropped out, it was almost like it's so, it's so exciting. You're like, we have to do this. It's like, you have no choice but to succeed. But we had been so, I feel like at least from my perspective, and I'm speaking on my co-founder's behalf, but I think they would agree that we had just been studying and immersed in the market for so long for literally 10 years at that point that you're just kind of like worst case scenario we started this company it flopped so be it we're going to either one go to our next thing or go get a job like we we, we feel like we're pretty capable people um, but like you know i don't know i've never had like really a traditional job before i don't yeah. expect you i think you're just like addicted to this so yeah i think there's natural natural butterflies, but it was fun.
0: And I know you mentioned that you kind of being growing up around this, like your family being like entrepreneurs, it's kind of like ingrained, but is there, like, if you could really think of it, like, is there, what is like, what is like the particular reason, what keeps you going? Like what fuels you? I mean, and it's okay to say like, I want to be really wealthy or I want to be, you know, like, I I think that's, I think that's a very justifiable reason. Like, uh, you know, not everyone comes from the same background and the same, you know what I mean? Like, and, and, yeah. and so everyone has different reasons but i'm curious for you like is it like making an impact leaving a legacy like what is what is it like really is it if you could boil it down it's no bullshit it's it, it's truthfully
1: uh trying to it, it gets us it gets me excited the same way i, I like drawing real world analogies just so it kind of makes sense like the same way like i used to ask my mom i was like mom why do you love Fucking cooking. Like that looks horrendous. Like it's like so much cleanup where it's so much prep work. Like, I can't believe you like you spend so much of the day like getting ready for one meal. And then as soon as I take a bite, I'm like, oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever had. She has the most genuine smile and she's like, That's why I cook. Like, that's why I want to create these meals because I love seeing how happy my meals make other people. And so you can think of us as just chefs creating our own meals and when we deliver it to a user we deliver it to a customer or somebody uses our product our creation and they love it that much and it helps them that much with their happiness you're like dude that shit's so addictive and so i guess i, I mean i guess you can throw that in the bucket of impact right it's like i i, I do i the, the mission of genies is so much greater than business at this point it is to elicit authenticity. It is to elicit more authentic, vulnerable connections that you can have amongst each other, just because I've seen how much that benefits myself. And so, um, you know, if this was for a financial return, we would have sold this company seven times over the past three, four years, but really hasn't been for that. Um it's just been for a greater mission and yeah, it's been it's been a blast.
2: So Kosh, speaking of genies, you know, what is it? And uh, why'd you start?
1: Genie, I am mean, Genie is a it's culture's go-to avatar. Um, right now, if you want to use a virtual identity, and you're from the tastemaker or celebrity or talent arena, ninety-nine uh, percent of the time, you're using a genie, um, which is a Pixar version of yourself, to really be able to tell a different side of your own story, be able to showcase a new side of your personality, and, and really um, showcase a narrative that your fans, your followers, your family, your friends can become infatuated with and understand more. Um, so it started with that, uh, but now we're going to be rolling out to consumers. Um, so everybody in the entire world will be able to create their own Genie avatar. And uh, uh, in, in, in conjunction with that release, we're actually also going to be announcing our marketplace with Dapper Labs, that debuted as the next thing after NBA Top Shot, the Genies Marketplace. Um, and so all of our talent, which we represent a few thousand, uh, you know, announced a deal with Warner Music Group. We represent the talent we work with and and have brought in all their talent, their roster of talent into the metaverse's avatars. Um, we're going to allow everybody to start selling digital good NFT wearables um, to all of their fans who now have their own consumers. So you can kind of think of it as like, Extrapolating avatars and digital goods that have been prevalent in gaming for decades and bring it to social circles and communities for the very first time. So um, we're excited about it. Um, but yeah, we have a couple. Of, I mean, we were talking about the end of the year. I think over the next few weeks, you're going to see a few of those products roll out. And it's been it's been 12 months in the making. Very cool. So
2: I. Uh, it looks like you started Genies around the same time we started this podcast. So late 2017, mm. we started this in November 2017. I assume you were around that same time. Um, And when we first began, Pat, correct me if I'm wrong. I didn't really hear about what the hell the metaverse was. I didn't hear about web 3.0. I didn't hear about NFTs, right? That's something that I'm sure has been in the works, but wasn't anywhere near as mainstream as it was for the last six to 12 months. What gave you the conviction that genies began at the right time? Because, when Pat and I do these interviews, a lot of time you hear founders saying we got lucky because our timing was right. What gave you the conviction, I guess, looking back that this is the right time to do this. This is the right time to launch this project.
1: Yeah. I think when you're building in social and consumer for as long as we have, you start to build kind of these alike trends. Like you start to understand these patterns and you're like, you can kind of see what's happening and what's, What's well, consistent behavior amongst youth and culture. So something we have been seeing through so many different types of caricatures, I will not even call them avatars back then, they were considered avatars, but caricatures um, was this kind of new way of expression. And you started to see this transition from just using avatars in gaming to starting to be cool enough to use outside of that realm. So we're like, this is pretty sick. And if people can actually harness their emotions and feelings in this type of safe haven vehicle and avatar, that will be very, very powerful for kids, especially as, you know, a, a couple trend that we saw was the increase of anxiety and uncomfort in mental health amongst teens and people that were just growing up on the internet and Instagram and Snapchat and more. So, you know, you couple those two together, you're like, this is, this is going to be significant if we can keep building down this path. Um, and I think, like, another point is something that we've never ever wavered in this company in doing is constantly making sure that whether it's through hiring, whether it's through influencing, whether it's through or gathering influencers, rather, we always have teenagers at the table. Like, we always have Gen Z at the table. We never ever sit there and, like, great, let's go hire like an insane product team and then do like surveys or rely on market data. Like, we'll never ever do that. We'll always be a company that has kids at the table. We're, st- we're, we're constantly studying the way that they behave because consumer behavior is so nuanced; it can't just be boiled down to numbers. And so, with that, you need to be you need to be examining twenty four seven. So, I think those two things. We had so many kids at the table in and out of the office. I remember Tuesdays and Thursdays were just pizza nights, and we just invited kids and just watched them talk. And it wouldn't even be direct. It wouldn't be like, "Hey, what do you think of this avatar?" I'd be like yo dude like what music you listening to like oh dope like you know and you just befriend everybody and you start to learn a little bit more and more and so um that's something that we have today i mean emma is like literally right i mean she's right out of college i think maybe like five six months or something and she's amazing And you learn stuff i mean she probably doesn't know i mean i sit right i sit right next to her and uh a 20 year old at work for a specific reason i mean we have a hundred people at this office i sit next to those two for a specific reason it's just you can pick up on subtle behaviors and things of that nature that you're just like, this is just helpful to how we build our product. So, you know, when we announce our marketplace and the consumer product, the headline will be, you know, genies is trying to create the Gen Z digital identity Mm -hmm. of the metaverse, nothing more.
0: And when you were first starting it, I mean, uh, you know, how did it look? And were you thinking, you know, business model? Like, were you thinking like, this is exactly, did you know, like how you were going to make money? Like, what, what were you? No. What was your approach? There? I think I think the idea around monetization was yes. I think it stemmed
1: from digital goods. Did I think it was going to be a celebrity to fan digital good model to start? No. I think we just knew that avatars were a culmination of digital goods and wearables. Brands wanted to insert themselves in the digital world and sell wearables. That new people could come into market, create their own wearables. That. You know, celebrities could sell their own digital merch. Like I think we I think we thought all those things, but you know, keep in mind we were three, four people in a we work. Uh, we launched in December 8th, 2017. And we were not, I mean, we we're just like, dude, does anybody will anybody fucking care about this app? Like, does anybody care about this? You know, because we shipped, like I said, like you know, the benefits that we'd shipped like 15, 17 apps before I keep them all on my phone that all had 10 users. So you're kinda like, all right very measured launch or like if this flops, it flops onto the next thing, you learn you learn whatever. Um, so I don't think monetization wise we thought that it would come this quickly. We didn't think that, you know, you talk about the luck component. I talk about like how fifty percent of your business is what you can control in the consumer world. The other fifty percent is luck. And finally for the first time ever, knock on wood, is that the other fifty percent, the luck is getting kind of taken care of, right? It's like no way would we have ever imagined that our plans for probably 2028 were accelerated to 2020 and 2021. And everybody in the entire world is all of a sudden, I mean, you have Zuckerberg literally saying things and philosophies and ideologies verbatim that we were saying in 2016. I mean, the guy fucking changed their name to Meta. Like it's, you know, you would, you, you would have never, ever imagined any of this stuff, but you know, the, the space is converging around our vision and it's just, it's just so exciting to see how many people are investing in digital identity now.
2: Yeah, I take you you're not a fan of Zuck.
1: You know, actually a lot of people say that and I actually tell people, I literally tell people, I was like, I say what you want. He still is one of the biggest icons in the entire world for what he's been able to do. Yeah. Now, do I agree with what he, politically, do I agree with a lot of his stuff? No. Do I agree with kind of like, do I even agree with the way that they're thinking about the metaverse? No, I actually think that they're thinking about it completely 180 than how you should be thinking about it, which I can dig into. But um, you can never, I mean, like it t- I know how hard it is to, I mean, our company is only 100 people. He's been around for over a decade and he did at a young age, 21. He connected the entire world in the internet, which is no small task. He stayed as a chief exec. He has control. And now he's like, the first time around, I connected the entire internet. Now I want to create the next internet. So, you know, say whatever you want in terms of like, you know, his political stancing and things of that nature and what he does in front of Congress. But you can never question his innovation and ability to build a behemoth. Like the guy has, through M&A, constantly been on the polls, whether it's through Instagram, Facebook, I mean you know, if it's outdated, it's still connecting a bunch of third world countries. Yeah. And then you have Instagram and then you have WhatsApp and you have a bunch of, you have Oculus, dude, that, I mean, jury's still out. If Oculus hits, it's like, the guy can't miss. So, yeah. you know, I'm a, I'm a Zuck fan.
0: Yeah. It's quite, it's quite insane. And, and, and so if, if no one has seen the video that he posted or that Meta posted about their grand vision, go watch it. And then let's dive into it. Cause you mentioned your, your vision for it is a lot different than his, like, what what did he say or talk about as far as their strategy that maybe you disagree with and you think no we need to go in another direction
1: well, I, yeah i think i mean it's less about what he says and more about what he's doing or not even him right it's like it's all of, it's all of facebook and it's all of these uh, web 2.0 centralized companies which look it's 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 hard to it's almost like there's a like cleansing that's happening within this ecosystem and a rebirth and a, and a new settlement and a new playing field of companies in the social world are coming onto market. And the old ones are unfortunately eradicated due to structure. So like, what do I mean by that? Right now, a lot of these big behemoths and these big companies are predicated upon the their revenue models pre- predicated upon uh, centralization ad revenue based on eyeballs right and so for that reason none of these web 2.0 companies can afford to go fully decentralized which is an issue because decentralization is all about freedom it's all about you being empowered to do what you want to be able to do and not be beholden to some third-party entity and so what facebook is doing is that they're trying to honestly do a bunch of decentralized behaviors and habits except in a very centralized format so like Facebook sitting there being like, oh, this, si- I mean, this is so sick. Ownership is so cool. Why don't we take Facebook.com and make the Facebook world Horizons? Disney does the same thing. Disney sitting there being like, let's take Disneyland and make it Disney World in the metaverse. And it's like these virtual playgrounds. And it's like the whole point is not to translate your web 2.0 environment into a web 3.0 universe. I think the successful companies are going to be the ones that basically become tool companies that provide tools that empower individuals to create their own worlds and have their own avatars and can own their own ecosystems fully. And so, um, you know, that's what we're doing. We consider ourselves a tools company, like over the next year or two, like we're, you know, I mean, we we talk about becoming a decentralized Disney in so many ways. We're a tools company. We're building as many tools as possible to empower, you know, Emma to create Emma world, not genie world, not, there's no genie ecosystem. Emma, you create your own world and your own ecosystem with your own compatible avatars. Lindsay, you do the same thing. And if we roll up, if we roll out enough unique tools, then their worlds will be completely different and unique and catered to them. The same way that the App Store kind of rolled out just a, you know, they rolled out a kit and they said, developers, create whatever creations you want. You see a consistency amongst all of them to some extent, some parallax effect, some login feature, whatever. But they're all, you give them enough tools to be creative to create that many different use cases and experiences. I think the next apps in the metaverse are going to be worlds.
2: Akash, just to to delve a little deeper there, though, and no discredit to Emma, Lindsay, or any other individual, (laughs) but if you're creating your own world and you don't have a massive audience like a Facebook already has or Meta, whatever they're called now, has established. How do you succeed, right? I mean, I get it. You have to build your community, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, in my opinion, the worlds that are going to succeed the most are the ones that have the biggest, most engaged communities, which if I'm Zuck, I'm thinking, well, that's me. I have groups built into Facebook. You know, I have all these fan pages, et cetera, et cetera. Now I give them the tools, you know, like genies, for example, and other tools to come build their worlds here in my little big world
1: right so i mean i don't know just playing devil's advocate here but that's probably what he's thinking right that's what he's thinking and he's betting on basically i think the vulnerability of most consumers at least right now where i think that changes and that story changes is when consumers become more educated about decentralized products that offer far more benefits than being in a centralized world right so like the only thing that facebook offers is currently a social graph Right. But like, I think social graphs to the, to what you were saying at the end can be recreated and easily promoted. And I don't think it's that hard to actually bring your friends to a new community, especially in this ecosystem. Um, what will be a problem is if people start to create wearables or they start to create things within the Facebook world, but they don't have true ownership. They aren't able to monetize it. They can't create their virtual influencers. They can't create their own world and then start charging people up the door for it without giving Facebook a huge cut. They'll right. start to, I mean, people are becoming more and more timid around uh, their own data, right? Look at TikTok, like, and everything that's going on between the geopolitical landscape between the US and China. Like, that stuff is not going to slow down. And as long as that keeps increasing because the centralized organizations need it, and more and more people keep building in Web3 and showing the benefits of what it's like to have full ownership of your products, I and mean, look what's happening with the ape community. There's a lot of people out there now that just like refuse to do anything where, I mean, the IP game is getting a little outdated. Now, I've had a lot of calls with some really big IP partners where they're scared because all of a sudden, like I said, there's like a cleansing mechanism that's happening. There's like a level setting where it's like, hey, I know X, Y, and Z brand has meant so much in the physical world, um, but unfortunately, everybody's moving into a digital world and fast. And so, if you can't reinvent yourself for the digital world, meaning that you give up full ownership of your IP because somebody is able to edit that IP and manipulate it because they bought it, they own it, they can use it for something else, you're going to be left in the dust because people see the benefits of, for example, buying an ape, a board ape, and all of a sudden it's like I can edit it, I can license it and make it a make it a band. I, I mean, I don't know if you guys saw Kingship, but they you know, like there's so many different things like that. So I think the use cases that come from a decentralized world a decentralized asset and true full ownership where you're not beholden to anybody completely outweighs a centralized format. And the more education, the more use cases that people start to see, the more that they'll start to drift towards those networks.
0: Yeah. And it's, you, you kind of alluded to it, but like the companies that in web two were focused on building platforms and places where people come together, like Facebook, like these other social networks that want to, like you said, reinvent themselves in web three. Do you think that because the business those businesses were so fundamentally based on advertising and ad revenue like do you think that there is a way for them to completely reinvent themselves without completely like letting go of their core business or is it just like is it the companies that are starting from the ground up today that are going to be the ultimate winners in this like new world
1: that's that's my theory (laughs) on level setting which is scary for a lot of the incumbents but it's part of darwinism like you know it's like it's like call it what you want but i like i mean even when the pandemic came to market it's like we are basically cleansing the market of all the bullshit companies that actually didn't have two legs to stand on they didn't have really what it if you didn't have a digital footprint of ushering into this virtual world you're screwed um and so i i view this as kind of the same i think the only way that a lot of these companies you know there's we as a company and a lot of the startups in our space, which there's not a lot of startups in our space actually, like it's a very niche community, but it's such a booming space, are playing Hungry Hippo with as much of the engineering, avatar technologist, artist community talent that's out there possible. What I think is going to happen is while we're playing Hungry Hippo over here with all the individual engineers and all the talent and so forth, the big giants are going to start playing Hungry Hippo and uh, with all the companies. And they're going to try to reinvent themselves through m&a right so they may buy a decentralized they might buy a fucking DAO, yeah and you know they might buy into a DAO, and they will have you know key, they, they, they will have stake in that does that change the centralized model of facebook no but they and i think they have to rebuild their juggernaut over the next 20 30 years if they're still around through m&a
0: Yeah, that'd be interesting to see because I was, you know, I think I was talking to Posh about this too, like the structures of like, for example, a DAO, right? Like the legal, the tax structures and like, oh yeah, it's, 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 there's so much horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Like at the end of it, like okay, let's say it's like oh, you know, we started down to do X, Y, and Z. Oh, we need an LLC to do this. Oh, there are officers on the LLC who get to who get to effectively shut it down anytime any time they want. <laughs> yeah, without so it down. Yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. So, so 100%. yeah, it's 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 just something like it's just a lot of there there like you said. There's so much benefit to this, and it's like you kind of have to see for what it is and and know that it's still early innings and early stages. And hopefully, with a lot of smart people working on these things, we can build a better world that's like for the for the better, right? And like you know, that's going to ultimately help people be better off and not worse off. Right. Collectively. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I guess one, I guess one other question, I mean, going back to what you were talking about as a founder, as someone who is, you, you know, just kind of all over the place, probably like with work and life and what, what have you, you mentioned, you know, therapy and going to therapy. Like, I'm curious, like how much, how, how has that really helped you? And like, is it something that, you know, you would recommend more people do? Like, I think it's something that we don't talk about enough. So I'm just curious.
1: Yeah, no, I think, I think mental fitness is equally, if not more important than physical fitness, right? So I think if, um, our previous generation popularized going to the gym and eradicating fast food, that this generation is popularizing therapy and, and, and really mental fitness in general. Um, for me, I've made it a massive priority, um, you know, therapy, um, this morning, for example, I've started to do stuff where I have a very standard alarm. I don't use my phone. So, in the first 30 minutes of every day, I just hit a standard alarm and then I just go outside and I drink tea for 30 minutes. I don't look at my phone. I don't look at my text. I don't look at my email. Then I jump into cycle. Um, But meditation is super important. Like, you know, if there's one thing that um, I ask of a lot of the different people that I respect within the industry that have done really cool things, I know Rohan was on the show too. Um, When we had raised our last round and we're, we're scaling and we're going into hundreds and hundreds of people. Was what would you? What did you do to level up? Like I'm always obsessed with leveling up and optimizing. He was like, "Dude, and and you." The only time I've ever heard in my entire life when I've asked literally ten to fifteen of the widest array of personalities of successful entrepreneurs, the only time I've heard a unanimous answer was with this. When every single one of them was like, "You have to nail meditation. Like you have to fucking crack that code because." it just level sets you, it brings you down to earth, it humbles you, it gives you a realistic outlook of like, one, what we've already accomplished, what we're doing, prevents and inhibits a lot of the anxious, the unnecessary anxious and depressing feelings that you might have that just aren't warranted. So I highly recommend therapy. I mean, even at the company, uh, we don't do anything random. So like all the perks that we provide, are all around mental fit. We have a therapy on us, or a therapist on us that you get per month for every employee at the business. Um, we do a bunch of things for, of course, your physical fitness because that's helpful too. But um, we do mental health days. We mandate those days. If you haven't taken them, we chase you about it. We're like, hey, you need to take these. Like, it's literally mandatory. So yeah. no, I think it's really, really important, especially as we get more immersed in the virtual world. Like, having time to just separate and detach is imperative.
0: Yeah yeah absolutely.
2: another question for you regarding being a founder i mean at the end of the day being twenty nine is still young and I'm biased, so i want to just say <laughs> twenty nine is still young um i mean thirty's young too 33 is young too thirty five <laughs> now dude forty
1: yeah. looks young forty is yeah. like, young
2: too above forty and you're a older founder uh Dino, but you Dora. know be, being a younger founder in the industry, albeit an industry where you know you're you're essentially one of the founding members and have been involved with from day one. Have you ever felt like you've had to work harder to earn the respect of those around you because of your age and perhaps quote unquote inexperience?
1: yeah a hundred i mean especially when I dropped out of school, I think like that's where I had to work harder or prove ourselves more and I think also at first glance like i think people are like that that fucking kid is supposed to you know do something sick like i think i think just because you know we we haven't really altered or changed for anybody within this space uh within this within this journey at least which i know sounds really cliche but we haven't you know i even when i was 21 i was still wearing like a snapback into every single vc meeting and just just kind of comfortable <laughs> and so um i feel like Yes, but that's why with every single success, our chip just gets deeper. Like, it's crazy, actually. I think if there's one thing that has really gotten us through the years and allowed us to elevate has been consistently within the culture here at Genie's is that our chip is so deep and that we just get more aggressive with every single success and milestone that we hit. So, like, if you hear somebody and they come out of a meeting, like, they'll be just cussing up a storm like about like another like opposing part like somebody about like you know they're like trying to close a deal and they're getting it done and they're like i'm gonna fucking do this this and this and like writing up their strategy about how they're gonna do it or whatever and they're just like amped and fired up and it i don't really get excited by raw raw i get excited by strategy and game plan and like really obsessing over the details and people do that because when they when they end up with the results or they actually get what we need or like we get a hire that we wanted you can see that it just makes them, I don't know what it is. Like you just get angry, like, 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 like enthusiastically angry. It's like weird. But uh, yeah, I think it comes from that. I think it's come from like the years of just like everybody doubting 24 seven, even now, like, you know, even now, like people will constantly doubt. Like now when, now it's almost like we have too much credibility. Now it's like, Oh, these guys have like, you know, they've raised a hundred million bucks. They have these people attached to it. They have these type of people. They have all this talent. And so that's why I think there's this one thing that I'm very cognizant of is trying to make sure that we're a perpetual underdog because that's when you get the best work from everybody. And so constantly knowing that like the, we talk about how the third superlative at this company doesn't exist. So you can never be the most, you can never be the best. I mean, you're, you're in this infinite loop of improving and you're in this infinite loop of the second superlative. You can be better than you can be trying to be more than, but the third superlative doesn't exist.
2: Hmm. I love that. I hadn't heard the word
0: superlative in a very long time. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. It's a great word. Um, So, but like, do you, I guess this kind of goes against that, but like, do you have like a kind of a vision of like an ideal kind of scenario for genies, like in terms of like where for, for you to be, I think that there's something that we maybe don't do enough of is like celebrate wins like even small wins like most people just aren't good at that especially entrepreneurs because there's always like so much to do and like always that next you want to like level up level up level up but is there somewhere that you think that like you would want genies to be that you'd be like oh like wow like i'm i'm so happy that we got it here like this is I mean, the mental health and avatars
1: go hand in hand and our obsession with culture is kind of the trifecta. And so if we're able to allow all of culture and all of Gen Z and the youth to consistently have access to our avatars that elicit authenticity and more authentic connections, we'll feel satisfied. I don't think it comes down to a financial number. And like, you know, I think as an entrepreneur, you do have a fiduciary duty with your investors, so you're going to be responsible. But that being said, like, Every, you can ask any single person or a cap table roham investor. You can even ask him. It's like we're very upfront. We're just like, hey, listen, we're swinging for the fences. Our third virtue of the company is big swing energy. Like if there's some short term capital opportunity, we're we're probably negating it for long term significant impact. Something that we get really excited about. So yeah, yeah, I'd say I'd say once we once we get I think mass consumer adoption and you can see the benefits and the happiness that's elicited from it. You know the mm-hmm. same thing with my mom giving me like a bite of her meal, like that type of happiness. I think that's when we will feel very satisfied.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, your mom's cooking just makes me want to just order like <laughs> Indian Indian food. By the way, like I'm not even kidding. I just I might after this is done, I might be ordering Indian food. I, I, I don't know, legit, yeah, not not a, really,
1: not a joke, not a joke. She doesn't really bake that much Indian food, but <laughs> I can see, why, but I can see why you would bring that up, obviously. <laughs> That's funny.
0: Well, it's been super <laughs> fun, man. I, I, I yeah, really sure. enjoyed this conversation. Uh, hopefully we can keep in touch and, you know, keep chatting and, um, you know, a lot, lot of exciting things happening with you guys and just the world right now and excited to see you on the forefront of that. Um, and uh, yeah, pleasure. Appreciate you guys.